Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you here today. Also good to be seen by those who are watching online or maybe even just to be heard by those who are listening online. We are in the second week of a series of teachings where we're talking about what it means to be part of God's story, which is another way to say we're talking about what it means to be a Christian. And these first two weeks of the series, we're exploring the gospel from two different perspectives. Last week, we talked about the gospel from above. This is the gospel from God's perspective, which we summarized as God's creative, redemptive, restorative activity in the world. This is the big picture cosmic gospel that shows us how God in Christ is bringing all things together and making everything new. Now today we'll talk about the gospel from a different perspective, the gospel from below. This is the gospel from our perspective. Hopefully this message answers the question, how exactly is gospel, which means good news, how is the gospel good news to people like us, to people we know, to people we live with and do life with every day? How exactly is it good news for me, for you, for us? And we can break the gospel from below into three main points. There's good news, there's bad news, and then there's some more good news. Let's start with some good news. The good news is we are human beings created in the image of God. And because of that, we have within us the capacity, the potential to do so much good in the world. The good news from below does not begin with bad news. Sometimes as we tell the gospel story, our tendency is to want to start with the bad news, but that's not where it begins. Not with bad news. The bad news that we're sinners who need to be saved from our sins and therefore we need to be saved from God because God is mad at us because of our sin. No, 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 no. That's not where the story begins. The story begins with the good news that we are loved. And we have always been loved from the very beginning. And out of God's love, God created us for a special purpose. God gave us something specific and special to do. Created us for something that many of us are currently not experiencing and is beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. Because we have within us what some would call the divine spark. That's the divine image within us. We're created in the image of God. And this sets us apart from all other creatures. We we can create 
in imitation of God. Now, we don't create the way God creates. God creates out of nothing, but we can take whatever God has created and then use that to create more stuff. We can create, we can invent, we can make plans, we can come up with strategies, we can implement our strategies and our plans, we can make things happen in this world. We can make good things happen in this world because we are created in the image of God. We are smarter than all the other creatures in the world. Collectively, we are. Some individual humans, maybe not so much. But most of us are smarter than all the other creatures in the world. Their fate rests in our hands. We are responsible as God's image bearers for creation. God created us to represent God on earth, to be in charge of creation, to oversee it, to take care of it, to continue God's creative work, to continue to spread God's love and all the goodness that God is into the world. That's what we were created for. That's the good news. That's who we are and have been from the very beginning. That's the good news. We are beloved human beings created in the image of God. Now the bad news. We as human beings created in the image of God use our capacity, our creativity, our freedom to rebel against our creator. And our sin, our selfish rebellion against our creator has messed us and everything else up in every direction. It messes us up from above, from below, to the side and within. Our sin, our selfish rebellion, our desire to live independently of God, thinking that's the better way to go, it alienates us in all directions. It alienates us from God. So that in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, after they rebel against God, meet the fruit from the forbidden tree, thinking that's how they become truly human when God comes walking in the garden, they instinctively and reactively hide from God. Because that's what their new relationship with God is going to be like. Their relationship and our relationship when we live independently from God is characterized by fear, dread, and distance. Our sin alienates us from God. It also alienates us from one another. so that we cannot appropriately and effectively relate to and communicate with one another even when we want to. We were created for community to live in relationship with God, but also to live in relationship with other human beings. And yet we find a way to blow it up every time we come within sniffing distance of a healthy relationship. We can't help but sabotage it. One of the things we're most afraid of is being alone. And yet we can't stand for anyone to get too close. Our, our sin alienates us from God and from one another. It also alienates us from creation. So that rather than taking care of God's good world, we abuse it, we exploit it, we destroy it for our own selfish benefit. So that in many ways, creation does not flourish under our care the way God intends. 
Our sin alienates us from God. It alienates us from one another. It alienates us from creation itself. And it alienates us from ourselves deep within. So we're overwhelmed with guilt and with shame, which then manifest themselves in all kinds of destructive behaviors, habits, and addictions. We can't stop. It's a destructive spiral downward. And we also know that we're going to die. And I assume our knowledge of death is different than all other creatures. We're more aware of it than all other creatures, and that gives us a sense of dread for the future. We know what's coming. And this can render life meaningless. What's the point of life if we're all just going to die anyway and it all goes away? Read the book of Ecclesiastes if you want more commentary on that. And so we are walking tortured contradictions, capable of so much good, and yet it seems hell-bent on doing evil, even when we don't want to, even when we're trying to do good. Our plight is described so well by the Apostle Paul, an early Christian preacher and writer, wrote a lot of letters in the first century to churches across the Roman Empire. And in one of his letters to the church in Rome, he says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, now I agree the law is good, but as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Theological term for this is being in deep doo-doo. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There's an old story about a stork that lands in a bog of mud and sinks in all the way to its knees, assuming storks have knees, sinks in good, gets stuck. And the stork then tries to break free from the mud, flapping its wings, hopping if storks can hop trying to break free from the mud, but there's no movement. So the stork leans over and sticks its beak into the mud, which then gives it a bit of leverage to free one from the mud. 
But now the stork still can't break free. The stork invents yoga, but the stork can't break free. So he puts his other foot back down to pull the beak from the mud, and when he does, he sinks even deeper. And the harder he tries to break free, the deeper he ends up sinking. He cannot free himself. And the Apostle Paul asks, who will rescue me from this mess that I can't get out of? In fact, I only make it worse when I try. And then he answers his question in the very next verse. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we're back to the good news. Good news, bad news, good news. We're back to the good news. That God is deliver us, comes to rescue us from sin, from death, from evil, from ourselves. The gospel from below is the good news that God in Christ comes into our world and joins us in the mud of sin and death. And voluntarily, sacrificially, gets stuck in our mess to finally give us the leverage to break free. The good news of the gospel from below is that Jesus Christ comes into the world to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The name Jesus means God saves. Jesus is literally salvation. Every time you say the name Jesus, you're saying salvation. Jesus saves. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is and brings salvation. And in the gospel story, salvation can be defined in a number of different ways. It never has just one meaning. In the gospel story, salvation is the restoration of our relationship with God. In Jesus Christ, God forgives our sins and takes away our guilt and shame and fills us with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, so that salvation means God lives inside of us and we live in God. But salvation in the gospel story also means that God begins to restore our relationship with one another. And the gospel shows us how to love and serve and put up with and forgive each other so that we can begin to live in harmony together. We're not there yet. It's not perfected, but we're on a trajectory. We're learning how, and it's because of the gospel. Salvation is also being restored to and equipped for the job we were originally created to do. Jesus gives us the wisdom we need to live in this world in a way that is a blessing, not just for other people, but also for creation. And of course, salvation means that death and all of his friends don't get the final word in our story. Death does not render our lives meaningless. Because of Jesus' resurrection and eventually ours, the good we do as God's image bearers in this world is never wasted. It's never lost. It is preserved and restored and renewed so that eventually, someday, when God renews and restores all of creation, 
we are raised to life with Jesus, just as Jesus was, to live with God and with each other in God's new creation. That's salvation. This and so many other things are what we mean when we say Jesus saves. And it's all made possible because of his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is at the center. Jesus is at the core of the gospel story because the story from above and the story from below come together in Christ. Now, when we enter the gospel story, when we become a part of God's story, we enter it from below. We enter it from below, motivated by our brokenness, by our stuckness, by our failure, by our need for salvation. We enter the story from below, and from the perspective of the gospel from below, the gospel is a benefit package. It's a benefit package. It, it includes all the blessings and benefits available in Jesus Christ. And to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to the gospel, to say yes to salvation, is to say yes to the benefit package of the gospel. But the longer we live in the story, the longer we follow Jesus and sink deeper into his life and his teachings, the more our perspective shifts so that we come to see that the gospel is not just about saving us as individuals. It's not just about your salvation or my salvation, not even about our salvation as a church. The gospel is about God's plan to redeem and restore the whole thing, all of creation. And from this perspective, we get our job description, which is to join God in God's work of creating, redeeming, and restoring, and making all things new. The gospel is both a benefit package and a job description. God's intention in the gospel is not to save just a few lucky individuals. It's to make all things new. It's to heal and restore the whole cosmos. But God does it by healing and restoring individuals and families and churches. God aims to put the whole thing, bring it together by first bringing me together, putting me together, putting you together, putting us together healing and restoring us so that then we can be agents of healing and restoration in the world. Here's how Paul says it in another one of his letters. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The restoration, the renewal and restoration, it's already begun in us. The old is gone, the new is here. And all of this is from God. We're not doing it, God is doing it who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
It's all there for us. The gospel from above and the gospel from below. And whenever the gospel story is told, it always includes an invitation. It's the kind of story that demands a response. There's an embedded invitation in the gospel story. Actually, there are two invitations in the gospel story. The first invitation is the invitation to accept the benefit package, to say yes to Jesus and allow ourselves to be saved, to quit trying to do it ourselves and let God save us. That's the first invitation to the benefit package. But the second invitation is there as well, and that's the invitation to accept the job description. To accept the job description and become God's ministers, messengers, ambassadors of reconciliation to the world. And we haven't fully responded to the whole gospel. Until we've accepted both invitations. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in the weeks to come. But today, let's close this gathering by remembering and celebrating Jesus, who is at the center of the story, no matter how you look at it. Let's celebrate who he is to us and what he has done for us that both saves us and includes us in the story, that both gives us the benefits, but also renews and restores our purpose. Before we go to the table, let's first confess our sins as a church. Let's confess our brokenness and call out for God's healing and forgiveness. It's available in Jesus Christ. So I invite you to read out loud this prayer of confession with me. If it applies to you, and I have a sense it will apply to most everyone in the room. Let's read this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to those who confess their sins. And in humility, ask for mercy. And so in the name of Christ, and because of Christ, your sins are forgiven. Now let's go to the table. This is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. Made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. 
you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, for it is the Lord who invites you and it is his will that those who want him and who want to be more like him should meet him here. Come, join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. For all he is to us, all he has done for us, all he's doing and will do for us. We find our life, our joy, our peace, our salvation in him. We thank you for sending him into the world to not only show us or to not only save us, but also to show us how to live. And we ask today as we take this bread and this cup, we would celebrate salvation and enjoy the benefits of being in Christ. We also ask that this bread and cup would nourish our faith and give us the strength we need to do your will in the world as your ambassadors. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Now let's stand and pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Go in peace and have great peace. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.